everybody and welcome to this week's bonus podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm Gemma. And we have got a very, 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 very special interview for you today. Brian Capron. Oh, oh my gosh, Gemma, can you believe? This is fantastic. I love this so much. Brian Capron, who played Richard Hillman, who... Reign of recently. Terror. Reign of Terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff. One this of Coronation is one of Street's Co- biggest villains of all time. Love him so much. This is Richard like one Hillman's of... brilliant. Yeah, I mean, look, thinking about mid to modern Corrie. He's not only one of Corrie's best villains, he's also, you know, one of the most iconic Coronation Street characters, I'm going to say. He really is, he really is. Brian Capron just played him so perfectly. I love... I love him so much. And you interviewed him for the podcast. I did, I did, yes. Um, well, I knew that I wanted to... Well, I, I want to say a little thanks to you to Rebecca as well for um, putting me in touch with his agent. She, she did a little bit of research for us and Thank found his so agent's much, details. Rebecca. This was a couple of months ago. And then as I, I've been loving, as a lot of our listeners has uh, have as well, I assume, um, watching him... Um, his final episodes airing on ITV3 at the moment. Yeah, I thought, in classic oh, may- Yeah, maybe we can get something with, with Brian Capron just to coincide with that. You know, I just thought, what what the heck? Let's give it a try. I, I was bowled over by um, just how generous he was with his time. The fact that he yes. gave us this interview and uh, I got to... Just chat with such a current legend. Yeah, you can tell he loved that role. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I we mean, don't want to put people, uh, make people wait too long, do we? So you want no, to go no. into let's, playing? Let's play the interview now. By the way, there is a YouTube version of this. So if you're listening on the podcast, you want to see it as it's going ahead, um, head over to our YouTube channel. You can see it there as well. But if you just fancy listening with yellow goals, then here it is. Me having a chat with Brian Capron, Richard Hillman. Here we go. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Brian Capron, the man behind one of Coronation Street's most legendary characters, Richard Hillman. He's kindly agreed to come on the podcast today to tell me about his time on the street, which viewers of classic Corrie have been glued to their seats watching recently, just like I was 20 years ago when it first aired. What was it like playing Corrie's OG serial killer? Was he happy to leave the show when he did, or should he have stayed at the party? Let's find out. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hello, lovely, lovely to be on it. Really, really nice having you on here today. It's been it's been twenty years, twenty years since you met your watery end and Weatherfield Canal. Are you, are you still <laughs> are you still um, recognised by people in the street all this time later? Yes, yeah, all the time. Unbelievable, really. I I'm amazed. I still look vaguely like I used to look. So. <laughs> <laughs> is, better, is it, is it yeah. nice reactions that you get when people see you? Yes, I I think there was something darkly comic about the character. So people always. Um, it's always a bit tongue-in-cheek, I think, you know. But yeah. uh, I get people who just kind of pass me sometimes and just go, murderer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was uh, I was at an event the other night and um, lots of people, you know, wanted to know, you know, all about it and stuff like that. And uh, But uh, they do get extra points when people remember me from Grange Hill, which was, like, so long ago, like 40 yeah, years ago. 40 years um, ago. I think that was even before I was born, Brian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 19, 1980 or something like that, I did Grange Hill for four years. So a lot of people remember me from that when I was a very nice, lovely, kind, gentle teacher. Um, yeah, my, whatever happened. 
Well, my agent made me come out of that show. She said, you're going to get, you don't want to be typecast as this nice teacher. And of course, uh, a little way down the line, the complete opposite happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been um, re-watching the 2002-2003 stuff on ITV3 recently. Have you noticed like an increase in people recognising you or, or more Hillman stuff in the last year or so since it's been on? Well, yeah, my, my wife says says that it has gone up. You know, I, I don't... I, I don't really know. So I suppose there have been more people talking to me about it. Um, but um, people try and I don't do Facebook. I'm on Facebook, but I don't do it, if you know what mm. I mean. I've had to be on it when I've done rehearsals for, for theatre and things. But uh, a lot of people try to get to me through Facebook through her. So she's had apparently hundreds of people trying to contact me, I think. But <laughs> I don't do I don't do any social media, you know, because I just don't want to know what anyone else is doing. And I don't want to know what they're saying about me. <laughs> So you, you you talked about the fact that you're in Grange Hill in the eighties. I mean, your your TV career goes right way back to the early seventies, doesn't it? Tell it me does. a bit about how you got into acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, I, I went to um, a grammar school called mm -hmm. in Sunbury on Thames, um, and about, I'm I'm basically from a council estate in States. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I acting was the farthest so far from my mind. My mother worked on uh, Heathrow Airport uh, yeah. in a clerk, as a clerk in, in a pay office. And my stepfather was um, was uh, a sergeant policeman on the airport. And my mother wanted me to be what was called an air steward in those days. And she even brought the forms home. <laughs> I thought, well, I ended up in another camp professionally. <laughs> but um, anyway, at this school, we didn't, in those days, you didn't have drama, um, O-levels or GCSEs. Um, you did get school plays. And a feature of my career has been people dropping out at the last minute and me being lucky enough to be thrown in uh, into an interesting situation. So uh, there was a play uh, at the school, a very good uh, English teacher used to do very good productions. And he did a production of The Crucible, which is a very yeah. famous play by mm -hmm. Arthur Miller. And um, I went up and auditioned for it and I didn't get any part at all. And I was jealous of my mate who got a part. And I can even remember his one line, which was the deputy governor's arrived. <laughs> I was so upset. And then the lead guy who was playing John Proctor, who was the main part, uh, left suddenly. Um, he, he just left school. And they looked around and my English teacher suggested me and I got the part. So oh, cool. I was so naive about plays that I didn't even realise that people applauded at the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so... And someone pushed me forward in the applause and the applause grew. And I thought, oh, this is good, you know. But then I got with a mate who was also interested in acting. We went to, uh, we did a bit of, um, we, we, we did Billy Lyre in Amateurs and things like that. And uh, we, we, someone said, you should be an actor. And you thought, well, how the hell do you do that? Mm. And uh, they said, well, you go to something called a drama school. So my friend was a, was a year above me and he auditioned around and found out about them all. And he got into a place called Central School of Speech and Drama, which is a very good drama school. And at that time, I was retaking my A-levels and um, uh, working in a riding stables and delivering cars at the Heathrow Airport. <laughs> and I thought, I'm never, I'm never going to get in a drama school. And my friend's done, you know, great. And the next year, um, I auditioned around and I got into Lambda, which is a fabulous school, the London Academy mm. of Music and Dramatic Art. And um, that completely changed my life. And of yeah. course... Um, after that, it's um, it's still very difficult. Um, but um, I think three years at drama school was just 
you know, fantastic. If I'd never become an actor, it was such a wonderful thing. I mean, this was 1967. Can you imagine the late 60s to, to 70? <laughs> and um, and I, I didn't manage to get a decent agent, but I did get straight into repertory theatre, a very good rep in at the Northcott Theatre in, in, in Exeter. And the people who were there at that time we went through there was uh, uh, Robert Lim's, Lindsay, uh, Bob Hoskins, wow. um, John Nettles, um, lots of very good people. Uh, so um, it was it was a good training ground, and then I was very lucky um, uh, that a, a play transferred with Alison Stedman. I don't know if you know Alison Stedman, a very good actress, very well known actress. She uh, we we, got, we transferred to the Bush Theatre in London, and uh, I knew it was my big chance. And a, a friend of mine from drama school, I couldn't get any agents to come along. I got wonderful reviews in the in the Times and the Telegraph and all the papers, and um, nobody would come and see it. And my friend. Uh, brought along his agent and uh, 1973 that would be and this guy came up to me on the last night he turned up and he came up to me and said um, the agent said right um, here's my card come and see us on Monday what, what do you want to drink and that completely changed my life and then I got into television from that and so throughout the 70s, I did all the things like, you know, the Sweeney, Tales of the Unexpected, yeah, yeah. Z Cars, um, all these police programs and stuff yeah. like that. So at really, I was always doing television mm. and I went back to theatre. If I had a plan, it was to get established on television in order to put bums on seats in the theatre because that's my yeah. favourite thing. So that kind of worked out in the end. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, I think at the end of the day, Richard Hillman has been your most iconic role, hasn't it? Oh, with, without a doubt. You know, I... Uh, I nearly had very big things happen to me after it um, and so, some disappointing things because uh, things clashed with, with other programmes so they didn't get green lit. And so mm. I was a bit disappointed, really, because I kind of had the world at my feet for a, for a moment or two there. But in the end, um, it all kind of crashed down. But then um, I got offered to do Where the Heart Is and that kind of saved me. So I had something that I went in that for, for three years. Yeah, yeah And um, that kind of pulled me along and kind of dragged me along from, from the Corrie situation. Um, and then, you know, I did Midsummer Murders and all these other things. Yeah. I mean, you have stuck with Corrie things as well, haven't you? I mean, sometimes when people leave a show, they say, I'm done with that. They kind of put it in a box and move on. But you've always seemed happy to do personal appearances. You've been on the documentaries. You've popped up on the tour. Would you say it's important to keep that connection to the show? Um, I think the difference with me is that uh, Corrie happened late in my career. I was in mm. my fifties. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I was very grateful because um, I was a jobbing actor who was kind of a, a kind of known unknown face on television. I'd had my own comedy series at one point. You know, I, I'd been on television a lot, so I was a kind of a face. But, mm. but Corrie was very special. And what what soap can do for a jobbing actor? It can give you a lift up. And that's exactly, I wouldn't be working today, 20 years later, I'm still working um, mm. because of Corrie. Yeah. So I owe it quite a lot. And how lovely, I, I work with people, I mean, you know, as you probably know, I do panto every Christmas. I used mm. to be very sniffy about it, but I love it because it gets me, I work with lots of young people and I work with lots of very talented people who haven't had the opportunities that I had. I call it, I've touched the wall. I've been to the awards, I've been to the parties, I've seen all that, done all that. And it's a lovely thing. You know, it, a lot of it's rubbish, but it, it's it's fun and a, a feeling of some kind of achievement that, that you've you've had that little bit of success that other people aren't lucky enough to get. And also financially, 
it set me up for life, you know. Of course, of course. So let, let's talk Richard then, because there's yes. been lots of villains in Coronation Street's past, even a few serial killers, but only a few of them go down in legend in the same way as Richard Hillman has. What is it about the character that you think has um, captured the uh, viewer's imagination so much? Well, um, it, when I went into the show, um, uh, Coronation Street was was drowning in, in, in the ratings um, mm. and EastEnders was winning everything. Mm. And I was cast by the female uh, producer at the time, but after six months, and I actually thought I was going to get the sack. I, I was, it was in the sun that I was going to get the sack and a few other people, mm. like Sally Lindsay as well, you know, we were mm. all going to get the sack. Um, and then they got rid of the executive producer and the producer and brought in Carolyn Reynolds as, as the executive producer and Kira Roberts as the producer. Mm -hmm. They knew the street backwards and they wanted to go back to the Longburn storylines. And it just so happened that they honed in on my character. They saw something in the character. Um, and so a combination, a serendipity, you know, a, a combination of things happened. Um, I, I think that right from the beginning with Helen, who, I, who I, I'd been in the show before. I, I imagine probably aware of that. I played a, a, mm. a, a social worker, you know, yeah. and I, and so I knew Helen and um, I decided everybody would know that, you know, all the guys that get with her are going to be a nightmare. So I'm, I worked very hard on creating a genuine affection for the family and love for her and thought very carefully. So it, which really paid off because his, his, everything he did, was for her mm. and the family because he'd never had a family. So that built this kind of very firm foundation before he kind of goes to the dark side. Yeah. And um, that really paid off. And the other thing that really counted, when I had to threaten people, my wife was very good. And because uh, when, when you get the scripts, you've got exclamation marks, you know, so you go, you know, you're looking at me like that. And my, my <laughs> wife said, don't do any of that stuff. Just cool be really cool and quiet and that really worked and then one day at the end of one episode um with Norris it was the director said to me we got to the end of the episode and he, he it was in the street and Norris was by the by the cabin uh, or somewhere and and uh I looked and, and he said this director said do your look I went what what look he said your look I said I don't know what look he said you do a look <laughs> and then I suddenly realised that I developed this kind of look with the quiet, cool thing, you know, which was all part of the character. And so you had a long burn storyline. And the first time that I had was aware that they were going to do that was I was talking to somebody in a pub one night who was the script editor. And she said to me, has anyone talked to you about what's going to happen to you? And I said, no. And I said, you know that they're going to hone in on your character and you're going to have a one hour special. And I said, yeah, what, really? I said, yeah, yeah. I went, oh, that's fantastic. And that was the night when Dougie, when yeah. I let Dougie die. Mm -hmm. And there's a party going on at the same time. And it was a fabulous episode. And suddenly the whole thing changed. You know? mm -hmm. and I like also, how you said that you let Dougie die because we, everyone says you killed him, but he, he found himself, didn't he? He, he did, those dodgy yeah. railings. He deserved it. He deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful episode. Really wonderful was. episode. Um, John Bow is very good now. I've worked with him before, um, but um, I think he was sad to leave the show actually. But anyway, mm. uh, um, so yeah, so it started from there, and then we're very lucky getting a particular writer in called John Fay, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and um, w- w- when you're doing the show, I mean, I wasn't in the show very long, really. Mm-hmm. I was in less than two years, but I had I did over 200 episodes. Yeah. So the pressure was unbelievable. I, we went to five a week while I was doing it. I know it's six now, but five a week was unbelievably difficult. Mm-hmm. It used to be two a week when I first did it. You know? mm-hmm. um, um, so uh, it's, the pressure is unbelievable. You, you have no time to do anything. My whole life was really just, uh, you know, uh, uh, read, working, learning lines every night and treating myself to maybe one glass of wine and 10 minutes of television. And every now and again, I'd go out and go mad. But but really, most of the time, it was very disciplined because I was living with Jimmy Harkisham, which made life quite complicated. Oh, I didn't know it, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an old mate of mine because um, oh. we, did a, we did a children's series together for three years. Really? Oh, I think he's brill on Coronation Street. We love a yeah, bit of well, on the podcast. He's a character. I call him yeah. Asian Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw him walk into a room, I thought, my God, who's that? This is when we were at the BBC. Yeah. And um, we actually became firm friends, and I was going through a divorce at the time, and he was very nice to me. He's got a very good heart, Jimmy. I mean, he's a complicated mm. person. But um, but we became very and so when I went to the street after I'd been there a little while we moved in together, so that was uh, quite interesting. Let's I say. bet it was. I bet it was. <laughs> so I fa- I just found it interesting what you said earlier about the fact that when you joined the show, you could, it was a little while until the whole serial killer thing was floated to you because you came in like supposedly as Alma's cousin, and I don't know whether it was ever even confirmed that that was no, actually what ever you are, whether it was part of his plan. Nobody knows. No, <laughs> nobody knows. No, I mean it was really, and also it's one of those strange things. I mean, what an illogical profession it is, as, as you can tell. I'm not even northern, you know, so I put on a slight northern accent, and from mm. then on, everyone thinks I'm northern, you know. So straight after that, I go into where the heart is, doing a Yorkshire accent, another dodgy, dodgy accent. <laughs> me, me and my mate, who are both Londoners, so we, we used to call it Yorkney. <laughs> um, so, so I made made my life and career practically up north, you know. Yeah. Um, in a completely false way, really, but um, but but terrific fun. Mm, you're based down in uh, Brighton, aren't you? Is that right? Yes, I'm in Brighton. Yes, yeah. 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 Great supporter of Brighton and Hove Albion, who've done very well this year. <laughs> well, well, I'm in Southampton, so we're both on the south coast together today. Oh my God! Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we had an interesting match with you the other day, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you said that you no know, Dougie's death with that hour-long episode was the first time that you kind of had yes. an idea about what was going to be happening for you. How, with with Patricia and then Maxine, how kind of far in advance did you have an idea about what the trajectory of the character's story was going to be? No trajectory. I had no mm. idea at all. I'll tell you what happens, because you're so immersed in these scripts. And I was going to say, you have five scripts coming in on a Thursday, and you're mm. going to be shooting on the Sunday. You only have Saturday wow. off. So you rip out everything that's nothing to do with you. And, and you, you, you just think, oh, well, I can learn that before so-and-so, and then I'll learn that on Tuesday and the, mm. whatever. And, and, you know, the Tuesday comes and you think, I, I, I'll, I'll, learn, I, I'll learn Thursdays on Wednesday. And then on Wednesday, they say, you've got to go and have your, your, your photos for, for front covers. And, then, and I've seen people break down in tears because they need the time to learn, you know. <laughs> um, but... Um, uh, sorry, what did you what did you ask me? I've, I've just I was just asking about how how long in advance you knew yes you know, what the well, main trajectory was going to be. Well, okay, so what what would happen is you you you'd go in um, uh, about a week week before maybe the the makeup girls would would get the scripts before us, mm-hmm. and in makeup while you're doing the previous week's stuff, 
they'd go, have you seen what you're doing next week? And I go, no. <laughs> and they go, oh my God, you know, you're doing X, Y, Z. And I go, oh my God, really? How thrilling. But no, um, you, you, rarely did I know. The, the only time I was pulled in was towards the end, yeah. um, about three months or two months before my demise. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I remember going in and Kieran saying to me, well, we decided how your death, you know, your death is going to be. And, and you, you're going to go uh, into You're going to drown in a canal, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how boring, you know. Really? I imagine myself falling. Yeah, because I, I thought, well, it had been done before in a kind of way. Um, and I, I, I just thought, uh, but I had no idea, of course, about how yeah. fantastic it was. I mean, mm-hmm. it was unbelievable, be, simply because, you know, well, we'll talk about that later, perhaps, yeah, you know, yeah. So um, I, I remember at the time um, there were lots of rumours about who your final victim would be because, you know, um, Tracy Shaw, was. there were rumours that she was leaving the show. Georgia Taylor was leaving around the same time. Yeah. So it wasn't going to be Toya. So that must have been quite fun to... Well, that's what, lift, what lifted it really, I think, which really suddenly... We suddenly got massive viewing figures was the fact that Tracy was going and I was on holiday I had a couple of weeks off and I, I, I was in um, Italy sitting around a pool and my phone went and it was Tracy and she said <laughs> Brian I've just heard what's how I'm going out of the show it's going to be fantastic for you you're going to murder me you're going to kill me uh, with a crowbar <laughs> you know and I said what well, really you know I thought blimey you know because her going out that that's what really kind of lifted everything and mm. suddenly you know the ratings went up and uh and every the mood at granada lifted because we felt we were doing and the other thing was they at coronary street had never taken any notice they were snooty about the soap awards but they realized that because east end was winning everything they actually aimed that story line at the soap awards uh-huh. and of course when finally it happened well we cleaned up yeah with yeah. everything Tell, tell me what it was like filming that scene because that is such an iconic Corey moment. Which, isn't it? That which scene, scene in, in Maxine's lounge? Well, um, that 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 was that was. Apt- I mean, what I thought the whole idea was so clever that he took on AIDS identity mm. um, and the fact that you know Helen doesn't get it at all until the final. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, uh, I mean. Also, all the iconic characters were still around then, you know, mm. uh, which was the joy of my part was I worked with so many different people. And sometimes you could be on the street and just have the same kind of people all the time. So mm. that was terrific. Um, well, it, it was uh, it, it was just the tension on the set was uh, was was unbelievable, you know, as I kind of it was very clever uh, how they um, had um, uh, I, um, Eileen Derbyshire mm. watching what watching a kind of bit of a, a creepy yeah, a slasher horror film, film. film or something wasn't it Jay? yeah yeah i mean that was very clever so you know breaking in the back and yeah. um t- take putting on putting on those uh that of aids clothes and everything mm-hmm. for these kind of peaked cap and all that you know baseball cap and all that yeah. kind of stuff the funny thing is i could never disguise myself with a baseball cap because i look like the character <laughs> 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 But I do tell people, and Tracy, Tracy refuses to remember any of this, but uh, the funny thing about it was, I, I don't know if you've seen me talk, tell this story before, but when, um, when, when he's murdered her, mm. obviously I've had that fantastic line when she bursts in. And, well, well, first say of all, it, say it for us, Ryan. <laughs> you are kind of just whacked. Eileen, of course, which is horrendous, this poor <laughs> old woman. Um, and, uh, and then in comes Tracy, and um, I obviously, you know, that famous line, 
you should have stayed at the party, Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. I, I almost wanted to do it. You should have stayed at the party, Maxine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you couldn't do that, you know. Um, but um, I always tried to make him very believable as a character and I kind of, you know, his reaction to what he's done. And mm. he, he's not really a, a nasty, cold, cruel person. He's just driven by it. I, what guided me really, and I've said this many times, um, is that often people said about, you know, about murderers that lived in the street and been a normal family man, which happens quite a lot, unfortunately. People always just say, well, he was such a nice guy, you know, always said hello to him in the street, always washed his car on Sundays. And that's what was in my head all the time, to make him so normal. Yeah, but he had yeah. this other dark side. And the other thing that made it very special for me, I thought, was the dark humour that they they put in. Yeah. Because it was almost as if he was winking at the audience, you know, which I I absolutely, there were so many points. Mm. Where uh, where he was kind of almost winking to the audience, I, and uh, one that I always say is my one of my favourites is walking down Coronation Street with Audrey coming towards me when all the Audrey stuff was happening, mm. and she just comes up and she goes, "Hello, Richard," and he walks past and goes, "Goodbye, Audrey." Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I loved it when um, after you'd um, bop Maxine on the head, then it cuts to somebody stabbing a fork into a plate. That was the butchers. Yeah, that was very clever. Well, <laughs> it was a very contentious uh, episode because it was, you know, right on, right, right on the bewitching hour, as it were. Well, you I was going to say it's, a, it's fairly gory for you know, whenever it was half seven in the evening. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what. What was a big problem before that was Patricia's death. Oh um, yeah, be, be, because that's when I whacked her with a shovel. Mm, shovel to the head. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a really difficult scene to make believable and. Uh, uh, when I first got the script, I thought there's just there's no way that, that there's there's no motivation for this at all. It's you know I, I was really struggling with it, and I went to see them and I said, "Can we can we change this?" You know, mm -hmm. um, and they said, "No, you can't change it." And I I thought, "Oh, this is so gratuitous. It's horrible." You know, I don't I, there's there's no mind. and then a lovely lovely actress who played that part, Annabelle Apsion, who's a wonderful actress, and she was only in for a few episodes. Yeah. But we were there and we had a very good director, well, a director who would go along with what, what we said. We just had this idea suddenly with it because there was, there was a kind of a scrabbly kind of messy thing. Mm. And we worked it out like that. And then I, th I, I, I think she or I, one of us, I can't remember who said, oh, why don't you spit at me? Why don't you oh, spit yes, at me? Yes, it does, doesn't it, say? And it wasn't, it wasn't in the script, right? And I went, yes, that's it. Yeah, and that's what made it, and so spat right, you know, wallop, and it really worked. And they, you know, it, as I say, that, that they didn't want to change anything, but mm. the director thought it was a great idea, and they said, "Look, just put it on my responsibility, and we'll do it." Yeah, no, that so was that, that was great. So that 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 made that really work because otherwise, it just there seemed no, you know, there's no reason for it, you know, it was, it was, it was tricky. So that was a nice little, little thing that actually worked from a, an improvised moment. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So we talked about that, um, should have stayed at the party line earlier. Another line that's, um, you can't escape, I'm sure, is that Norman Bates with a briefcase, oh, Gail fabulous. delivers, yeah, Gail delivers that to Richard on the confession episode. Great writing and brilliant delivery by Helen Worth as well. Wasn't it, it was. It was. I give you. I give her that. She did it beautifully. And yeah. I have to say that you know the biggest accolade you can get on the soap is to have a two-handed episode. And the yeah. kids came in about a minute or two. Yeah, Corey really. so rarely does those. So what was that like? 
Well, it's very difficult because you're still doing all the other episodes. You don't get any more rehearsal time. <laughs> and and uh, the amazing thing about that one, I mean, I thought it was an amazingly written episode. Yeah. I think that was John Fay and, because he had to do the backstory. He had to invent a backstory for a character. You know, <laughs> that had no backstory. Um, and kind of make sense of it all, which he did. And I don't think I've ever been in, in such an amazing atmosphere on a set because the lovely thing about Corrie, you know, certainly then was like being part of the family. All the crews are just amazing. And the, the tension on the floor, knowing what a difficult job it was, all the lines you had to learn and, and you know, that the pressure on it was unbelievable. Mm. Um, but it was, we actually shot the whole of the first half in one take. Did you really? Yeah, wow. it was just amazing. Yeah, and and it, it made it. It really made it. It was yeah. such an incredible episode, and um, of course that yes, that fabulous fabulous line came out. It was such a brilliantly written episode. It was mm. just incredible. Mm. So I felt I felt so lucky to get so what an exciting storyline. They don't come any better than that. Oh, really. I know. And and Helen Worth as well. She's such a Corrie legend. I think I think only Ken Barlow. He's the only character that's been in more episodes of Coronation Street than Gail has at this point. So tell, yes. tell me what it was yeah. like to work alongside her. Um, well, um, you know, we, we got on great because I knew her before. Mm. I think my favourite person in the show is Sue Nichols, though. She's the real grand yeah. dam. Uh, Helen Lovely. Helen doesn't quite fit that grand dam thing, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, no, but uh, she 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 was always uh, very 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 generous, and um, it 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 just worked really really well, you know. Mm-hmm. I think when we did the marriage episode, she, people said to me, "She thinks it's real." <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing about the marriage, we had a marriage episode. Was that that was another weird thing that happened? Was yeah. originally there was a marriage in EastEnders at the same time, uh, which was going into OK magazine, right? And at the last minute, um, uh, the girl who was involved, she had to drop out the show or something. Mm. And so suddenly they didn't know what to do. And they saw that we were getting married. So they said, OK, you do the OK. <laughs> so we had 11 pages <laughs> of our blinking wedding. So that, that, that was great. And of course, all the time as the tension built, the audience know he's a yeah. bad man. <laughs> and mm. it just built and built and built. I mean, the yeah. twists and turns in the plot were just amazing. I mean, I, I actually thought when they said to me with Audrey's thing, um, you know, you, you're going to try and make her believe she's got Alzheimer's. And I thought, oh, that's boring, you know, because I want to go around killing people with crowbars. But but it was a, that was brilliant as well. And it was almost, there's a m- moment of farce when he's, he's in the he's in the house and he's, 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 he sets it on, he sets it on fire and, and they can't, he removes the, He's, he's removing the batteries from the alarm and they come back and he's in the cupboard and it's like, it's <laughs> yeah, like oh yeah he does he hides in the pantry or something doesn't yeah, he yeah yeah i mean it, it was brilliant i mean every different aspect was just fabulous yeah. i also loved um work, working with malcolm hebden because he's a proper he's, he's what i call a proper old old actor you know mm, mm, and yeah. uh, we had such fun and he's so dry and he's you know he's he's got this kind of bitter act you know and we used to take yeah. the mick out of each other all the time yeah. I, I, I adored him i thought he was lovely and also another thing that i loved was working with um with uh vera um mm. and jack um and i had a wonderful uh, moment with them because i had to remember an awful lot of uh figures because we were talking about um, uh, you know, equity release mortgages yeah, yeah. or whatever. And I was having a bit of trouble with it. And um, 
and uh, Bill Tommy, isn't it, Bill? Yes, he, he le- Bill and his daughter. Yeah. He, he, he leans, he, he was sitting around the table and he goes, he said, I don't do any of that learning bollocks, Brian. He said, write it on a bit, write it on a bit of paper, stick it behind the teapot and read it off that. <laughs> I go, I can't do that, Bill. I don't know, I can't do that. He said, no, just write it on a bit of bloody paper. That's so funny, that's brilliant. I, I always, um, I was going to say as well that the, the kids who were involved in your story, what was it like to work with them? Because Jack and Tina, they're still both in the show now. And I was right even you know, 20 years ago, you, I could yeah. tell that they were something special. They were fabulous. Uh, it was wonderful. I mean, that, that's what made the character work because he desperately wanted this family, you know. Um, and uh, th- they were great to work with. We had such a laugh, you know, and um, taking the mick out of each other all the time, you know. Mm. And um, D- David, God, I forgot, what's his real name? Um, Jack P. Shepherd. Oh, oh, Jack, yeah. yeah. He, he, he used to, I mean, he always, his mum was around all the time, you see, and he, he oh. you know, annoying because he was always kind of you know he wanted to be big, big billy big boots you know but yeah. his mum was always around and i remember when i i went back on the street for some publicity because i was doing a show up at the lowry i think mm. and um they were both there and i i said to jack i said uh, does your mum still you know hang around all the time she, <laughs> oh no no got me on flat you know there's none of that goes on now i'm independent you know and the phone went went oh hello mum <laughs> brilliant <laughs> but uh, no, they were lovely, and Tina's an absolute sweetheart. So yeah. I, I thought they were great, right? and mm. um, we, we we had such great times uh, that they were very exciting. We always used to make each other laugh all the time. Mm-hmm. And it all ended with you driving into a canal. I, yes, of course. I have, I've got such vivid memories of watching that episode because I was at university. It was my second year at university. I was I was sharing a house with um with some people, including my now wife. And um, I was watching that episode alone in the house and I was recording it because um, um, she was she was out. And I just, I'd never been so captivated my, <laughs> with by such a breathtaking episode as that one. And like, as soon as it finished, I was like, rewind it, watch it again. It was it was brilliant. What, what, what do you remember, you know, when you, you, you said when you found out that you were gonna go into a canal that you were a bit nonplussed by it. But what did you, do you remember your reaction as you heard more about what it was actually gonna be like? Well, they've got, they got a Bond, a James Bond stunt team in to do it properly. And oh. it was incredible. I mean, we used five cars had to be oh, really? used. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you see the car is on an A-frame pulled along first of all. And also the director who directed that did a wonderful job of making you the most difficult. So first of all, it's on an A-frame and he's shooting inside and we've got that they're struggling inside all of that bit, you know. Um, And then there's another there's another car by the canal that's had the um, that's had the gearbox and the engine stripped out and it has Mm -hmm. a cannon underneath it and and it shoots it up in the air with dummies inside at that moment. But he shot it so well that you, you, re, you it was almost like he, he because he shot inside the car you could you you felt everyone lift off mm. which of course wasn't the case because no. there were dummies in there yeah, yeah. and then when it when it goes into the um when it went into the canal they didn't realize that the canal was just a bit shallow so they had to that so it didn't didn't go under the thing so at the time they had to t- take the roof off of another car 
yeah and get divers underneath to pull it just the roof underneath <laughs> which was mad and that 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 night was the coldest night in history that it was about three o'clock in the morning we were doing that and it was so cold and i had to be in a body bank in, in the cold which was not very nice well it must um, have been very early on in the year mustn't it because i think it was like march that you left so they would have filmed that it must have been like january yeah. time or so uh, yeah well um, well well no because coronation street only I mean, in, in the, when I did it, you just shoot the exteriors the week before. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But still well, pretty cold, like, though. It was, it was, it was really cold. Um, but then, of course, the, the, the studio stuff, the underwater stuff, was all done in an underwater tank at Fleetwood, mm. um, where, where they train helicopter pilots um, who, who come down in the North Sea. That they, that they have a mock-up helicopter that goes in. So we, we then there had two more cars, one at a different height underwater. And of course, we had to learn um, to act underwater, which was very exciting. <laughs> so we were there for about three days. And um, we had to, it's very strange because you're underwater and you have to be weighted down. Yeah. And you have a breathing apparatus and uh, you have your eyes closed underwater. And then uh, they count down on your fingers and action and you throw away the breathing apparatus and then you kind of act. <laughs> <laughs> was it a bit Mad scary oh no i loved it i thought it was fabulous i mean it was so exciting i mean the, the whole the whole thing was just so brilliantly done and yeah. of course they only had one shot to do when you when you see the car go into the canal the mm. flashing lights and up and into the canal they could only do that once and they're covering it with all these different cameras mm. and um they got it, and of course, it's become an unbelievable. And of course, another line is "I love you," you know, "I love yeah. you," you know, <laughs> um, all the that song. Stuff. I bet you can't and escape that these... you and me song, can you? I know it's incredible the amount of times that people, you know, mention it to me. And so, it, it's become this extraordinary thing that I was part of. Um, as I say, through serendipity, through you know, even, even when I went up for the part, there were twenty other people reading for it. They didn't even do a screen test. And um, I thought it was a waste of time because, it, you know, I didn't believe that I'm an EastEnders person, really. And I was in EastEnders, but my time there was cut short. Yeah. And so I, I, I thought you've got to have real genuine people in a northern soap, you know. And so I, so I had to go up to Granada in those days. I went up there and I had, um, had an amethyst on my tooth. I had to get an emergency antibiotics. <laughs> and I thought, I've got to go all the way to bloody Manchester, you know. <laughs> and... And I went there and also the person in before me, I could hear the interview, one of those awful interviews where you hear, the, hear it going brilliantly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> and the guy came out and went, yes, lovely. And all. I thought, oh, crikey. You know? So I went in there and I thought, I hope they please don't ask me to read it Northern. So I read about seven or eight lines and they said, oh, we quite like that, Brian. Could you just do it in a Northern accent? So I read it in Northern accent. I thought, oh, there we go. So, and then... Um, on it, about a week and a half went by, and um, I've got a beach hut in, in, in Brighton and Hove, where I live. Mm. And I was, I was on a Friday night, and uh, the phone went. And I thought, oh, it's my, it's my agent wants me to go out for a commercial on Monday. I'm not going to ignore it. <laughs> 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 and it kept going. And I thought, oh, I'll have to answer it. And I went, yes. So, remember you went up for Coronation Street about a week and a half ago? I went, yes. They went, well, they're offering you a six-month contract. I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> It was mad, absolutely mad, you know. And and the rest is history. So that that definitely is serendipity how you got that role, wasn't it? it really, really was. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After you finished Coronation Street, did you carry on watching and kind of for a little bit to see you know what was next for Gail and the kids, or did you just move on? 
Uh, to be honest, no, I didn't. I, I know I've never watched soap really, uh, no. any any soap. So I, I, I always um, had a kind of interest in Coronation Street in the when I was first in it in the eighties. Can you imagine with all the original iconic characters? Yeah, um, I, I was like this little actor, you know, and all these amazing people. Um, and um, in those days, it used to say have a, had a big banner saying 21 million people watched this. Mm-hmm. They were like royalty. Yeah. And and also in those days, they had separate green rooms for female and male actors. Oh, really? <laughs> and you had to be careful which chairs you sat in. You know, you mustn't sit in someone else's chair. Well, yeah, because that was... <laughs> I mean, was um, I can't, who was still in? It? I mean, was uh, did you still have like Pat Phoenix? Like, uh, yeah, they moment? were all in it. They were all in it, and I mean, some extraordinary things, you know. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Len Fairclough. Mm. Uh, I, t- I took um, I-, I took foster children into the mm. Faircloughs, and um, Don Worthington was the name of my character, mm. and um, uh, Peter. Um, who played Len was fabulous to me. He 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 he'd been a bit of a raucous guy early on, you know, in his career. He mm. he had a drink problem, but he'd been clean, you know, he clear of the drink for fourteen years and just to sit in a corner doing the Times and Telegraph crosswords. But he took me under his wing, took me to his home, took me to Bury Football Club, took me around, and I saw what it was to be really famous because everywhere he went, hello mm. Len, hello Len, hello Len, and he was such an avuncular, strong, masculine, you know, person, mm. you know. And I, I absolutely adored him, and he, he had the most awful ending to his life, you know. Mm. You know, it, it was just terrible. And uh, and of course, if you do anything wrong and you, and you're in the public eye like he was, the fall from grace is just enormous, you know. Mm. Mm. And it's a, such a sad, sad, very sad situation. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's funny for everyone who's involved in a soap a long time. I mean, the reason that I I didn't ever want to stay in it a long time, not that my character could, but um, I don't know. Uh, you don't have any power as an actor, really. But I did say two years is my maximum because right. I didn't want to move up with my family to to Manchester. Mm. You know, um, I, and I, two years was a long time to be away as it as it was. You know. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, no, it was very interesting being in there and then coming back to it. Yeah. Also, I loved the old Corrie sets that I was involved in. When I first went, it was in the main studio, so there wasn't a feeling of a special feeling, really. Mm. Then when they had the studio block at Granada, out just over the road, it was fantastic. It was a lovely, lovely feeling. And everyone had to go into the green room before they went into the studio. And there was a great feeling. Whereas now where it is, it's all a bit kind of, you know, windswept and isolated, I think, you know, <laughs> hasn't got that cosy feeling it had. You know, I've been on the set a few times, you know, um, it doesn't feel quite the same, but it was, it was a very special time. Mm. It's, it's just uh, funny to think that you were responsible for bringing in, well, two other Corey icons, because the, the two girls that uh, Rita and Len adopted uh, Sharon and and Jenny also went on to be Corrie legends. Jenny now the landlady of the Rovers Return, yes, delivered man. to the street by you. Well, the big thing, of course, that happened was uh, they decided, uh, apart from the, the executive director and the director, decided um, not only on the Longburn storylines, they decided to bring back Julie Goodyear. Oh yes, and, of course. Now we've heard course. there's been a bit in the press recently about her sadly developing. Um, yes. Alzheimer's but yes. yeah what what because what, what was it like to, to work with her though well I mean I remember Bill Roach saying before she comes you'll feel the waves <laughs> <laughs> and you did and we did um but she lasted 10 days you know and I think there was um 
there was a number of reasons for that. I, I think the main reason was perhaps the acting style had changed, you know, because mm. she was such a strong character actress who, you know, would, well. you know, say, well, I think that he should go and that's it. You know, it kind of it was a very, <laughs> very big character, wonderful character. But really, things had moved on to be very naturalistic and you, 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 you had to be very, very natural. Mm. Um, like um, Simon in it, you know, he's he's yeah. he, he's 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 to me he was the bar uh, he was the bar he was the bar you had to be like because he could turn on a sixpence. He's such a natural actor, and mm. I, I you know I I tried to be as natural as as I could in the situation um, because the more as time gone on, you got to non-act even more <laughs> um, as an actor on television, particularly particularly now is because there are so reality television shows and so. Yeah it shows if you're acting so when you mm, when you mm. when you learn those lines and you you want to be as natural as you can be yeah it really was a different world because she first left in 1995 i think and this was only what seven years later then but Corey had moved on hadn't it yeah. but it was it was amazing because there were about 40 people involved in her they'd worked on her story for six months and of course i went in one day and um they on a sunday and they went nobody told you bro i said what they cancelled filming, and that was unheard. I was said, "Why?" She said, "Well, she she she's uh, she's ill. She's she said she's got stress and can't come in." Mm. And so all my scenes were moved forward. <laughs> and I had there's one little story. I don't know if we've got time for it, but yeah, um, of course. Oh well, I I well I so, so suddenly um I if you had didn't know your lines on the day, you know it, you weren't it wasn't worth living. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the pressure's unbelievable. So. I think it was on a Tuesday night, I got these new scripts through that I had to learn for the next day because Julie had left and all my stuff was brought forward. And so um, I, I went to a petrol garage uh, on the way home, a uh, shell garage where there was a little shop and I went in to get some milk. And then when I came out, guy said to me, have you got a brown case? I said, yeah, he said, some kids have just taken it out of your car. I thought, oh my God, that's the scripts. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Well, I mean, and there's no way in those days you couldn't print them off, you no. know, that they were gone. There weren't any other scripts, mm. you know, and I to get anybody in the office to get them. And I, but, and, and I said, well, did you see where they went? And so we went down that Twitten um, on a, a very tough estate, uh, which is not far from Curry. So I got in my car and I didn't even think, and I drove into this estate and I drove into the middle. And I got out and I saw them, four of them coming towards me. I had my sunglasses, one of my sunglasses on. Uh, and I was hoping that they throw. And I looked at them and I, I said, you something, something, something. <laughs> and I don't know if they thought that's Richard Hillman or what. Yeah. They just buds up and scarpered. Brilliant. And I, I ran towards where they came from and I went down this path and there was my case with the scripts all over the floor. And I picked them all up. I thought, oh, thank God. And then all these people were coming out of their houses going, oh, hello, Richard. Are you all right? Want to come in and have a cup of tea? And I said, no, it's all right. Thank you very That's much. So I was funny. just so relieved. I said, for so, yeah, so, so the, that was just mad. Just, just one of like them. A, mad. Sounds like you were standing up to a bunch of Aidan Critchleys there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never know to this day whether they thought, oh, my God, it's Richard Hilton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, another funny thing happened was that when I was living with... Um, um, Oh God! Uh, what's it? Oh, God, blind. Um, who I told you about? I've Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy Hawkinson. Um, I was living with him, and um, he never told me. Uh, we we had a break in and uh, stolen some stuff, mm. and he never told me. He, he'd gone off early, and, and I had a morning off, 
and um, there was a knock on the door at half past eight. He hadn't mentioned to me that the police were coming around. Mm. I went downstairs all groggy and I, I opened up the door and there was a WPC standing there and she went, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Which was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I imagine you must get that you know, all the time. I've, we've spoken to um, Connor McIntyre on the podcast before as yeah. well, who played Pat Phelan and it's the same with him. The little old ladies yeah. coming up to him in the street and giving him a good old finger wagging. And... That's it. That's it. You're a very naughty boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you met... Um, Colin McIntyre at the Soap Awards a few years ago, didn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. We've met up and we we've been on a podcast together. I think we, we were on this morning together once as well. Oh yeah. right. And yeah, did no, you compare lovely. notes about being, you know, serial killing notes? Yeah, no, body we counts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. We just, we just had a, a a good chat. You know, very different characters. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he he's a lovely guy, and he was very kind to me. He said, "Well, you were the bar that we were all trying to achieve." You know, so that was a very very kind of him to say that. Yeah, I mean, during his story, it was all about who's the most iconic villain. Is it Richard or is it Pat Phelan now? Yeah, yeah. They're just very different, aren't they? Very, very, they really different. were. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I can't believe how the Richard Hillman story came together because it just built incrementally. You know, and. Uh, so we did. Yeah, one day I had a script come through because you don't even notice who's written anything because you have so many scripts. And um, as when I noticed, I had some, they used to give me monologues, which I don't give to many actors because they're pretty no. difficult, you know, to, to learn. And, um, I, and I thought, this is amazing. And I thought, who's this? John Fay. And I had to find out who it was and, yeah. and ring him up because his scripts were just extraordinary, you know, yes. particularly the first stuff I noticed was when I was with, um, um, with Malcolm Hebden mm -hmm. and Richard starts to pour out a bit of his life story and um, it, it was beautifully written and it suddenly God it just just gives so much depth to the character and colour to the character mm -hmm. um, so very lucky there he was, he was a Brookside writer originally but he'd been All a right. poet as well so he wrote he wrote love lovely stuff you know just mm -hmm. just had so, apparently they had um they used to because Coronation Street is writer driven and EastEnders tend to be more producer-driven. Right. Um, but the writers sit around every three months and decide who's going to go where, and the script writers write it all down and then apportion out the different things. Mm. And they said, well, where do you think Richard Hillman should go? And they go, well, I think you should do this and this, that, and the other. And, so and then John Faye said, I think you should do this. <laughs> and they went, right, go away and write it, John. And he went yeah. away and did write it. Um, that's yeah. why I think, um, you know, it, it was so special. And the most unlikely character for me to play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I started life playing mostly cheery, charming copies. <laughs> I know, what a turnaround. What a turn I mean, did you find after you left, Corrie, were you getting offered more of the kind of sinister, villainous roles? Yes, yes. And, I, you know, um, obviously, yes, you know, you're going to be pigeonholed to, to a certain extent. The only, the only lucky thing for me, I think, was that I'd been an established actor on television for about 30 years. Mm. And also that's why I didn't want to stay in a soap because yeah. I understand why people, the security of it obviously is fantastic and the money and all of that. But um, as an actor, I, I like the, I don't, it, 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 to me, I, I, I describe being in a soap as like being in, being in jail with velvet handcuffs, you know, <laughs> um, it, you don't have any power and, mm. You, you, you know, you can see the cynicism creep in and your whole life can become about uh, how much money you're earning or what your storyline is. But I understand why, you know, people stay in and go back. You know, I do understand it because such an insecure profession. Mm. But I love the fact that I was already established as an actor. Yeah. I could come out 
and tootin' along, a, a, a slightly, you know, elevated thing, you know, doing lots of plays and tours and things, you know, and playing in Manchester mm. and, and, you know, and not, not nice old telly roles. Mm. Um, and I, 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 for instance, I, d- I did Guys and Dolls mm-hmm. in the West End with Claire Sweeney and, oh, yeah. uh, and toured, you know, at, at the Royal National Theatre. I worked there. I, none of this would have happened if I hadn't been in Corrie. Mm. And um, I did the Rocky Horror Show and I, did, I started to do musicals and obviously Big Panto. Um, so, which I'm still doing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I'm in South Manchester that this year. This year, I'm, I'm going to be doing um, uh, Captain Hook in Peter Pan. Oh, nice. Um, in in, in uh, Stockport Plaza, which is a beautiful theatre that they used in Peaky Blinders. Actually, it's yeah. a lovely theatre. So I'm, I'm very lucky um, to still be going. Now I'm bloody seventy six. You know, I mean, yeah, so. it's great. You're still going strong. It's fantastic. Still walking and talking. Yeah. I did just before we go, uh, Brian, I had to ask, because yeah. you did make one more appearance in Corrie on that DVD spin-off, A Knight's Tale, oh. where you were Dickie the Boatman. What, what yes. was all that about? Tell well, me, also, tell me we've about not, that. We've not talked about the Coronation Street musical. Either. Oh, we can talk about that as well. We've got time for both. Jeez, mate. <laughs> the, uh, there's only a few people who know the true story behind that one. But, the, but Dickie the Boatman and the musical, you can blame... Kieran Roberts, because he rang me up and persuaded me to be in these. And I always liked Kieran, so I kind of did it as a favour. Yeah. Um, but um, actually, it, 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 was, it was quite funny doing The Boatman. I, 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 thought, it, I thought it was quite funny yeah. uh, being his cousin or whatever. But it was very <laughs> difficult because I had to come out of the water out of a lake, a really dirty lake. And I, <laughs> it was really horrible. But uh, it actually, um, it was good fun. It was good fun. And also... David Kester, the director, I absolutely adored. And um, so I, th- that's why I did it, really, just for a laugh, you know. And I thought it's not going to, yeah. because I never would have gone back into the main Coronation Street because I said I'm never going back, whatever, you know. Yeah. I, that's why I said I, I want to be in a body bag. That's it. He's finished, dead, you know, gone. Yeah. Also, uh, the same with Pat Feeling. They made sure they showed both of you being zipped up at the end just to, that's it. they're not coming back. No, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Well, it's often a big mistake to go back in. Some people can carry it off, you know, um, but but um, you look at uh, Leslie Grantham, for instance, that uh, mm-hmm. was a disaster, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there was that. And then the Coronation Street musical was the saddest thing of all, because actually it was fantastic. It could have been really brilliant. Um, it just needed some alterations, but um it, it, I mean, it was a massive thing. I mean, I've never been involved in anything so big really? because, uh, I, I mean, the set was was 80 foot wide of the Coronation Street. On top of that, you, you had 20-piece orchestra. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you had three massive 80 foot wide, well, the 80 foot wide video screens because wow. it was for arenas and it was going to be a world tour. It was going to be everything. Um, and for a number of reasons um it, it, we we played it in manchester arena at the men as it was then uh for two nights and had a big okay party and then it all went wrong mm. um for a number of reasons which are quite complicated <laughs> <laughs> and i never got paid a penny really no it, we were originally going to do uh four dates we even did the pre-publicity we flew to dublin you yeah. know belfast and newcastle and then there was going to be an autumn tour um, but um, the producers were, were a bit dodgy. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, Kieran persuaded me to do it because I'll tell you what, we had done, um, uh, the, um, we'd, we'd recorded the album. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was based on that, wasn't it? I, I, yeah. I, well, it's got some good songs on it. 
Well, mine was, well, this is yeah. when, again, Kieran said, would you just, we'll send you a dummy of this. I said, I don't really want to do anything anymore about Coronation Street. He said, will you just listen to the song, Brian? <laughs> and I listened to it and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I said, would great. you record it? And I recorded it at Abbey Road Studios with the Royal wow. Philharmonic. So what, uh, what, that's another thing. I mean, it keeps giving, the Richard Hillman thing keeps giving. And we got paid properly for that as well. Yeah. So I went and recorded this song, which I think, you know, I did a pretty good job on. Mm. And that's all they wanted me to do in the musical. And actually, uh, you know, I've still got the review. I got the best reviews <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't contaminated with the rest of the musical. I just did the 15 Richard Hillmans doing this fantastic routine with a 20 piece orchestra. And it was amazing, but I didn't get paid a penny. Um, oh. But the, the publicity person on that was a lovely girl who did all the Corrie stuff. She does like the Corrie tours and things like mm. that. She, um, she gets me back for Horonation Street every year and gradually, gradually I'm being paid, paid off. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'd, I'd have loved to have seen it. Wasn't, um, wasn't Julie Gidgeo involved in that as well? Yes, she was, yes. And I think the lesson about it better. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Let's say no more. <laughs> well, Brian, it's been so lovely catching up with you today and hearing all about um, your time on Coronation Street. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's a pleasure, mate. Um, I hope everything goes well with, for you at the Panto this year and you, you keep on working. Oh, bless you. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. Still... <laughs> Amazing. I, I am so, so thrilled. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on to the podcast oh, to chat so with me. So cool. Um, it's a very special time when we, as I say, as we said earlier, have been really, really enjoying watching He's those been magnificent. episodes on ITV3. Oh. He... When we when we were watching it on the DVDs character. the other uh, couple of years ago as well, it just took us right back to 2002, 2003 really? kind of time. <laughs> when I throw it, I can't help but smile. <laughs> it's such a great time in Corrie. And like I said, Brian Capron is such a great sport. He really enjoyed playing Richard Hillman. And I'm so glad that he still enjoys reliving those moments He's with just fans. got so many great stories he as does. well. <laughs> I, love, I love that he shared a flat with Jimmy Harkishen. <gasps> I'm sure. That, I'm sure that you know there are more stories to tell now. I didn't want to. I did want to pry, <laughs> maybe but not, maybe not recordable ones. Who knows? Maybe not. Who knows? But um, th- this was, you know, when when you started watching Coronation Street, this story was pretty much in in mid flow, wasn't it? This, this was is... something that helped hook me into Corrie, and also yeah. perhaps it was what made me think that Coronation Street was just was just the, you know the story of serial killers with the odd family drama it was thrown you, in you started watching Corrie there's yeah. a serial killer story yeah. going on and you, every and now if, when if there, there isn't one, one for a I'm few years you go where's, where's the serial killer <laughs> I signed up for serial killers well I, I hope everybody enjoyed that hope you enjoyed it I thought it was um, I was so so chuffed I'm still walking on air after talking about him thank you everybody talking who's him, yeah. what did I say talking about him I oh, talking about, him, talking about talking him to him talking yeah. at him yeah whatever so um, yeah hope you all enjoyed such listening great, to that um, great as much interview. as I did well done Michael it. thanks thanks <laughs> and fa- well done Brian thank you so much well done Brian for, for surviving on. an hour with me yeah, thank you so much. And Ooh. thank you all, everyone, for listening. Hope that you enjoyed that very special Coronation Street treat for you. Mm-hmm. Coronation treat, would you say? <laughs> oh, my God, terrible. All right, we're going to be back this weekend with more Coronation Street thoughts. We're going to be talking about everything that's been going on this week. So tune in this Saturday morning to find out what we thought about what was going on. But for now, we're going to leave you. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Tell you what, this podcast is going to be this weekend, by the way, Gemma. What? You and me away. Oh. <laughs> and forever. Goodbye. <laughs>
the music of this episode came from podcasttheems.com. <laughs> Some of it did. Well, apart from that, yeah, of course, <laughs> obviously. <laughs>